Sam Slater from Funcalibur, and today I've been joined by Matthew Page, co-manager of the Guinness Global Equity Income Fund. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Sam. So let's perhaps start off with the dividends of the companies that you hold within the portfolio. How are dividends holding up this year? Well, they're holding up very well. Um, so as you know, we own 35 companies in our portfolio. And um, so far this year, we have um, had dividend updates from 32 out of those 35 companies. Um, and I'm pleased to say we've had no dividend cuts and we've had no dividend cancellations. Um, we've had five companies who've kept their dividend flat this year. Um, and we've had 27 companies that have announced um, dividend growth uh, for their uh, for 2022 versus 2021. So I think that's um, really encouraging. It shows that despite everything that's going on, you know, dividends are a sort of longer term reflection of a company's profitability as opposed to earnings, which can be sort of more volatile. Um, I think it shows that these companies are growing their dividends, you know, still, even though we are in this much sort of higher inflationary environment, and they're they're confident to continue to do that because of the the pricing power that these companies have got. They're able to pass on these higher input costs ultimately on to the customers. And so um on average in the portfolio, we've seen 7.7% dividend growth from the holdings. And if you look at just the 27 that have actually announced growth, uh, then it's more like 9.1%, um, which is really pretty strong and um, sort of a bit of an acceleration, I think, from what we saw last year. And one of the areas where we've seen some of the strongest dividend growth is actually within our financial holdings. Uh, so a company like Aflac, for example, which is a US listed company, but with a big Japanese insurance part of its uh, operations has grown its dividend 21% this year. Uh, and then we've seen companies like BlackRock, the asset manager that have grown at 18%. So, um, you know, really impressive dividend growth, despite the, you know, the, the difficult macro environment that we're in at the moment. And you mentioned there the difficult macro environment. What are companies saying about next year? Are they concerned at all that if we go into a global recession, they might have to stop growing those dividends or even cut? Yeah, there's certainly a bit of a mixed picture out there. I think if you're looking at discretionary spending, uh, that's where we've seen some of the sort of weaker results um, uh, amongst companies. But we're quite well positioned from the point of view that we only have one of our 35 companies uh, in the consumer discretionary space, which is a company called VF, which owns uh, brands like uh, Timberland and, and North Face. And they've grown their dividend every year for over 25 years, I think it is now. So despite them having a you know a trickier time at the moment, um, broadly speaking, I think um, you know, their, their dividend outlook looks OK. Um, you know, on the plus side, we've got a very high exposure to the consumer staples um, space where we've seen some really strong pricing power coming through. So, you know, on average, in the second quarter, these companies grew their revenues by 12 percent. Um, and if you break down that 12% to how much of it has come from them putting up their prices uh, and how much of them has come from them increasing the volumes of goods that they sell, then out of that 12, 9% has come from increased prices and 3% from increased volumes. And that's really interesting because you know normally kind of your standard economics would tell you that if you put your prices up by 9%, you'd expect your volumes to go down. Um, but what these companies have been seeing in the second quarter is that that hasn't been the case. They've been putting prices up and actually people have been buying more. 
Um, and if you drill into a company like Diageo that actually delivered 20% or 21% uh, revenue growth in the second quarter, um, then they're seeing you know, even faster growth from some of their super premium products. So, you know, their expensive whiskies and, and, and things like that. So um, I think it is a it is still a mixed picture. And I think some of our more cyclical um, companies in the industrial space, for example, are maybe a little bit more exposed to, um, you know, the effects of higher interest rates and therefore the higher funding costs of big projects. But also they're very the ones we own are very well exposed to you know, some key long-term themes like energy efficiency. So companies like ABB and in Switzerland and Schneider Electric and in France are really well positioned to actually be part of the solution to uh, the energy crisis that um, you know many countries are, are struggling with at the moment. And I notice you don't have some holdings in areas like utilities, energy, telcos. Is that because you don't think they can sustain their dividends or is there another reason behind that? So it really comes from the starting point for our investment process. And, um, you know, we, we take a slightly different approach. You know, we don't start by just screening for high dividend yield and then deciding what we're going to pick from that. We we start from the point of view of looking for companies that we think are going to be able to pay sustainable uh, and growing dividends over an entire business cycle. Um, uh, and therefore, what that does is it tends to steer us away from highly regulated industries. So, you know, a utility, for example, uh, has been given this sort of oligopolistic competitive advantage. Um, and in return for that, those companies are not allowed to earn know, high levels of profitability year on year on year. Um, so as a consequence of that, they tend to get screened out um, of our universe. And the same would also apply to uh, banks. Um, for, for that reason, it's because they're just incredibly cyclical. Banks sort of, by definition, uh, you know, absorb a lot of um, shocks during a, a recessionary period, uh, and therefore they're not going to earn that consistency of profitability for us. So, um, yeah, it really is all about that 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 starting point and um, you know, looking for companies that can sustain dividend but also grow and reinvest their business, which in turn will lead to that dividend growth over time. And you've also got quite a high weight into US companies at the moment. Why is that? Yeah, so we're around, um, we're, we're probably over 50% in the US at the moment, but um, that's still underweight relative to our benchmark, the MSCI world, which is more like sort of 72% in, in North America. Um, but it's fair to say for a dividend strategy, that is a high a high weight. Um, and I think, again, that slightly comes back to that different approach. If, if you are, you know, normally US companies... Uh, tend to pay lower dividend yields than um, European and UK companies, for example. Uh, and the reason for that is they tend to return cash to shareholders partly in the form of a dividend, but also partly in the form um, of a share buyback. And uh, therefore, that means that the dividend yield tends to be lower than uh, than, than European companies. Um, but what we find is that because of that, they actually have very well protected dividends. So through the pandemic, for example, where we saw half of European and UK companies cut or cancel their dividend in 2020, actually we saw some really strong uh, dividend growth from North American companies. So whilst the yield might be lower, uh, the sustainability uh, and the growth there is very attractive. Um, 
Bonds haven't really paid a decent income for quite a few years now, but we've seen the yields on them rise quite significantly over the last few weeks. What would you say to investors who are thinking, maybe I'll get my income from bonds now instead of equities? Yeah, I think it's um, you know it's a really interesting point. And I think the key point to remember um, about your income from your bonds as opposed to your equities is the fact that, of course, your income stream from your bonds doesn't grow. Uh, and therefore, if you're worried about protecting that income stream from inflation, you know, you really need to look be looking for an income stream that is going to be able to grow over time. Uh, and therefore, you've got to look at that balancing act of, you know, what is what what is better, say, um, you know, a 3% yield that is flat every year for the next 10 years, or a 2.5% yield that can grow at 7% per year over that 10-year period. And whilst today the, the yield on equities might be lower, if that scenario were to play out, then you'd end up with more income return from equities over that over that period. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's an either or discussion. I think it's, um, you know, you want to have a balance of the, of the two. But, um, but I think in this inflationary environment, equities are, are going to be key. And perhaps finally, you could talk us through about some of the changes that you've made in the fund recently. I think you've sold British American tobacco, for example, and you've bought Coca-Cola. Perhaps you could talk us through the reasoning behind that and maybe one or two other changes. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, we made, we've made a number of changes this year for um, uh, out of our 35 companies we've sold and we've replaced those um, with four new companies. And we have a one-in, one-out approach. So if we find something we want to buy, uh, we have to sell something. And if we find something in the portfolio that we're worried about, then if we want to sell it, we've got to bring something else in to, to replace it. And so the portfolio always has 35 names. And so um, in July, we we started to um, think that the valuations of a number of companies um, had probably run a bit far. Um, so there are really two areas where we we sold a position. One was two of our tobacco names, so British American Tobacco and Imperial Brands. You know, and these are companies that have got um, you know well documented headwinds in terms of regulation and growth and um, and uh, their investments into next generation products. Um, but they were very much from a sort of um, factor perspective, very appealing to investors at the beginning of this year, as we saw that big rotation out of kind of disruptive tech and into deeper value. These companies have historically traded on very low multiples. So by the middle of the summer, we'd have quite a strong re-rating in these companies. Uh, and we decided ultimately we wanted to bank that, that relative outperformance um, and rotate it elsewhere. Um, the other area was on defense. So we had two defense companies uh, we had British uh, BAE Systems, I should say, and um, Raytheon Tech. And uh, again, really strong relative performance over the first half of the year. Clearly, the Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine has completely changed the outlook for defence spending by the West and particularly in Europe. Uh, and as a consequence, these companies had again re-rated. So essentially what we were doing in the summer was we sold four of our five best performing companies relative this year, uh, not because we thought the outlook for them was you know, dramatically changed, but just we thought the valuation risk now was more significant. Um, and so we rotated the uh, companies into four new companies. As I say, we bought Coca-Cola, we bought a company called Mondelez. These are two uh, food uh, and beverage, fast consumer, uh, fast moving consumer goods companies. 
Uh, and then we also bought two industrial companies. We bought Atlas Copco uh, and a company called Emerson Electric. And, um, you know, on the consumer staple side, I think, um, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen some really strong price and power coming through from these companies. Coca-Cola grew its revenues 20% uh, in the second quarter. Uh, Mondelez, uh, again, was talking about relatively little price elasticity. So I, if you put your prices up, it wasn't really affecting the volumes that they were getting from the West. And they were actually seeing very strong consumer confidence coming out of emerging markets. So we uh, we like that profile for this difficult environment that we're in at the moment. And then I think the industrial names, you know, these were names um, that are clearly more cyclical, um, but crucially from our point of view, they do meet our requirement of consistently generating high return on capital. And a big part of that is the fact they have high levels of recurring revenues. So servicing the equipment that they sell um, makes can make up 20 to 30 percent of these these companies' revenues, which makes them a little more stable than uh, than other uh, industrial names. So um, yeah, the overall effect of that was therefore to sort of increase our North American exposure a little bit, uh, reduce our UK exposure a little bit. Um, but from a sector point of view, it was fairly neutral. It was two consumer staples for two consumer staples. The defence names sit in the industrial space and we replaced them with, with two more industrials. Well, that's a really good update. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Sam. And if you'd like to find out more about the Guinness Global Equity Income Fund, please go to fundcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only.